in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each having six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips dwelling in the midst of a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me holding in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth saying, Behold, this has touched Your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And then I heard the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. And the Lord said, go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We want to know something about what it looks like to encounter the living God. To be met by Him who made all things and redeemed all things and sustains all things and is moving all things towards its appropriate end, which is new beginning. What is it like to meet the living God? And this passage is so incredible and so beautiful and so full. And I wish we could get into all the imagery and all the um, symbolic meaning inherent to this passage and Isaiah's experience. But what we're going to do this morning is is to take um, from this encounter a series of stages and steps that holds true not only in this story, but in other encounters that we can see and, and look at in Scripture. And that we can see embodied by people in the history of the church. And that we can even recognize uh, in people in this church. So let's look at the pattern uh, as we look at the the story and the encounter. Um, Isaiah has gone to the temple. Just like we have come to worship God, he has gone to worship God. In the course of his worship, uh, the Lord opens his eyes, his, his heart. The roof of the temple, he opens Isaiah up to experience his presence. And when he experiences his presence, what does he see? He sees the divine throne room where God sits enthroned, surrounded by the seraphim. These angelic beings who are closest to God. There are various kind of ranks and orders of the angels. And these are those who are closest to God's presence. Seraphim. Uh, means burning one. They are so near to the presence of God, they radiate, they burn uh, His ministers, a flame of fire. 
is one way that the seraphim are described, and they are so close to him that they are lit aflame, burning without being consumed. And as Isaiah is given to see the Lord seated on the throne, the, the angelic messenger surrounding him, he hears them singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of your glory. It's an incredible, a staggering vision. And even as he is met by the beauty and the transcendent glory of Almighty God, and the wonder and the beauty and the splendor of his servants who radiate and reflect his beauty, they are also... He is also quickly confronted. Well, what does he say? He says, "Uh uh-oh, doesn't he? He says, says, woe is me. It's more serious than "Uh uh-oh. He says, woe is me. Because in the Lord's beauty, he sees his own ugliness. In the Lord's transcendent glory, he sees his own uncleanness. In the Lord's truth, he sees his untruth. He is a man of unclean lips. He dwells amongst a people of unclean lips. In the Lord's purity, he sees his own impurity. And he is preparing now for death. That's the second stage. He encounters the glory of God and recognizes his own sin. But then the grace of God is extended to him as one of the seraphs, as one of the um, uh, God's servants takes a coal, a burning coal from the altar of incense. Remember, this is in the context of worship and these uh, incense is rising like God is a pleasing aroma, like the prayers of the saints. He takes one of the burning coals and he brings it and he touches his lips and his lips... Are made clean. His sin is removed from him. His sin is atoned for. His guilt is taken away. He is made worthy to be and stand in the presence of God. Not by anything that he has done, but by the mercy of God. Those who have interpreted this passage throughout the history of the church have said the coal is Christ. The coal is Christ who takes away our sin, who purifies us, whose the flame of whose Holy Spirit comes and resides in us and burns away the impurities such that what remains is pure. It's the third stage. By God's grace, Isaiah is made holy. And then the fourth stage, he hears God saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And he's talking to the divine council who have gathered around the throne. And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. He is filled with gratitude for what God has done for him. He has seen the beauty of the Lord and all he wants to do is to give his life in service. And so he offers himself up to be sent. Do you see the pattern that emerges? There's an encounter initiated by God in which one comes to see and to recognize the glory and the splendor and the beauty of God. Ushered into his presence then, the second stage is you're confronted by your own sin and need for purification, and God's grace accomplishes that. Not so that we can just be happy with ourselves, but so that we can now be brought into the mission of God and sent into the world in His service. 
We can see this pattern emerging in other stories of encounter throughout the scriptures. Think of Moses. Moses, who has this famous meeting with God, where? At the burning bush, atop the mountain. You remember that the bush was doing what? It was burning without being consumed, kind of like the seraphim who burn with the presence of the living God without being consumed, who radiate His glory. So too does the bush, like the seraphim, radiate the glory of God. Some will call the burning bush Mary, the mother of Jesus, because she too bore the presence of the living God but was not consumed by it. And so too, as an image of Mary, you and I are called to burn with the presence of God as the Holy Spirit At Pentecost, lit as tongues of fire upon the disciples, so too are we given the Spirit called to burn, to radiate the presence and the glory of God because of what Christ has done for us. So in all these things, don't think this is just for someone else. This is for you. You're to become these things and these images. So Moses comes near. He sees the bush burning. He has this encounter with the presence of God. And he too is undone. He is confronted by the angelic messenger. Take off your sandals. You stand on holy ground and these sandals are garments of skin, of leather that he has placed upon himself, added to himself so that he can make his way in the world. Just as the garments of skin were placed upon Adam and Eve once they sinned and left the garden, so too does Moses have to remove now these artificial garments. He's entering into the presence of the Holy One where all artificial things are stripped away and God sees us as we are. He is undone. And then he's put back together. God says, you're not just a shepherd of sheep anymore. I'm going to send you to shepherd my people Israel and to lead them out of the land of Egypt and now into freedom. So Moses has this encounter. He's undone. He's put back together and he's sent for a purpose. Think of Paul on the road to Damascus. He thinks that Christians are living in untruth, that they're distorting um, the reality of the faith. And so he's on his way to Damascus to persecute them. And what happens? The risen Christ encounters him on the way. And in a blinding light that reveals to him that he is actually blind, This blinding light that reveals he actually doesn't see. He's struck blind. In that moment, he is undone. He cries out, who are you, Lord? And Jesus reveals to him the truth of who he is and puts him back together and grounds him in reality and then sends him first to a street called Straight where one of Jesus' servants will pray for him and he will recover his sight. But then he sends him to the world as the apostle to the Gentiles, the one who carries the truth of Jesus everywhere. He encounters the risen Christ. He's undone by the light that radiates. He he can't bear it without it consuming him. And he's struck blind. But then he's put back together and sent on a mission and with a purpose. You see the pattern over and over. Look at John who wrote the Revelation. He is on the Isle of Patmos. On the Lord's day, he's come to worship like we've come to worship, like Isaiah came to worship on the Lord's day. He hears a voice calling to him like a trumpet. He sees a door flung wide in heaven. He's drawn up into that same heavenly throne room where Isaiah was taken. He sees the throne and one seated on the throne in the Lamb and he sees the angels surrounding the throne. And what are they doing? They're singing the same song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And he is undone. His sin is revealed. 
there's a scroll in heaven and I say, who's worthy to open the scroll and to, uh, to take the scroll and to open its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth and under the earth is found worthy. And John certainly is not. And he weeps. He is undone. But then he's put back together as the reality and truth of Christ, the Lamb who was slain, is revealed by an angel who speaks to him and says, here is one who is worthy. Here is the one who is worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. And he's put back together and he's sent on a mission to carry out and to write to the churches and to tell them what he has seen. The pattern of encounter of being undone in the presence of God, sin revealed, but then forgiven and grace fitting us back appropriately to the mission God has to send us on. Here's the pattern of encounter. Is it any wonder then that the pattern of our worship on Sunday morning follows this exact pattern? Y'all didn't just come to sit down this morning, right? We come to encounter the living God. We come and we worship. What song did we sing, whether in voice or in heart this morning? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. That's how we started out, singing the song that the angels sing around the throne. And very quickly, after that song had ended, confronted by the holiness of the living God, what did we need to do? Confess. We were undone. Only one is worthy. We confessed our sins, and God, by His grace, began to put us back together. How? By reminding us, assuring us of the pardon that we have in Jesus Christ. Because of his death on the cross for us and his rising again, he's conquered sin and death. He's Lord over it. We can be forgiven. And then he continues to put us back together as he leads us to the scripture and to his word and speaks to us out of it. And as he draws us to the table and fills us with bread come down from heaven, his body and blood which washes away our sin as he continues to shape us and mold us so that we grow into his likeness. Because He has a purpose for us. Nobody packed a bag coming in this morning. I don't see anybody expecting to spend the night here. Although you're welcome to. We're about to be sent out into the world. For what purpose? Because we are grateful. We've encountered the wonder of the beauty and the glory of the living God. We've recognized what He's done for us. And we're thankful and we want to respond by being sent. We should all be standing up and say, Here I am! Send me! Not, all right, I'll see you next week. Here I am, send me, Lord, so that I might be about your work of sharing good news, of loving, of serving, of blessing, of helping people contextualize this confusing and difficult time in the big story of what God has done and continues to do and will do. And so if that's the case, If this is the pattern of encounter with God, if it's what we experience on Sunday mornings when He gathers us, then I think this morning we need to ask ourselves a couple questions, three questions actually. We need to ask, I'm going to ask them, I'm going to ask you these questions. Uh, What is the Lord undoing in you? As you are confronted by Him this morning, God in His holiness, who's promised to meet us, to be in our midst when we gather together in His name. As you stand before the Lord, who sits upon the throne this day, the one that the angels hymn, holy, 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 
as he gazes upon you and looks into the depths of your heart, what is he undoing? What is God going to... How is God going to disorder your already disordered life? Now, maybe when I ask that question, you know exactly (laughs) what the response to that question is. Maybe it's the same thing it always is when you come and pray the prayer of confession. The same thing that always rises up. The thing you, you know makes you unworthy to enter into the Lord's presence. Or maybe, maybe you're not really sure, actually. What is God wanting to undo in me? Um, if that's the case, let me set before you just a few options. Things that the Lord might want to take away from you, to undo in you, to disorder in you. You can read these in all of Paul's letters. He always has this vice list and a virtue list. So the vice list, um, when you put these things together as the church has, well, there's, there's a few things that emerge. And sometimes the church pictured it as a tree and, and pride is the trunk and all the other sin and vices kind of branch off of that in various degrees. So pride, maybe, maybe the Lord wants to strip you of your pride this morning. And there are so many silly reasons that we can feel full of ourselves. Maybe that's it. Or maybe the Lord wants to take away from you um, vanity uh, or, or vainglory, which is a little different from pride. Pride's content with itself, but vainglory needs everyone else to voice how wonderful you are so that you can bask in other people's opinions. Or maybe it's asedia, which is sloth. You know, you heard of the... the one of the deadly sins of sloth. But sloth isn't just doing nothing, it's doing the wrong things. Slothful people can be really busy doing things that aren't the main thing, the thing they need to give themselves to. Uh, it can sometimes be described as an anxiety. You think of slothfulness, you don't think of anxiety of the heart, but it's an anxiety of the heart that leads you to do all the other stuff. Maybe some of you are like uh, my friend Katie in seminary. Whenever we had a paper due, she would clean her dorm room immediately. That was the thing she would do, right? She'd do everything else in the world, super busy, but the, the one thing needful, right? Maybe you're like, I don't know. Yeah, so maybe it's asedia. Maybe it's sadness, an inordinate sadness and despair. Despondency is one of the ways that they would describe it. That far outweighs the joy that is ours in Christ. Maybe it's anger. Or avarice, you know, greed, greediness. Um, maybe it's sexual immorality or fornication, as it's classically put. Maybe it's gluttony. And that doesn't have to apply to food. It can apply to many different things. Maybe if you're asking, what does God want to undo in me? Well, there's a start. And if you're like me, like you can look at that list and be like, I think God wants to do... Un- undo every single one of those in me because I see all of those things in me. And after you get to asking that question and, and, and asking the Lord, Lord, whatever it is, do it. Maybe then you can begin to ask also, what is the Lord wanting to put together in me as the potter sits at the clay of my life and shapes me and molds me? What, how is he doing that? What is he wanting to put together in me? And maybe you know the answer to that too. It's the thing that God continues to bring up for you and to give you opportunities to grow in. Maybe it's very clear, but maybe also you're not sure. God's not a God of confusion. 
like God has given us some very clear things that he says he wants to do for everyone. And he tells us in the scripture, certainly wants to grow us in faith, like an ability to trust in God and hope. Now's a great time to grow in hope. Could you imagine if you were just a person full of hope, how other people would look at you like, oh man, what's going on with you? And love, faith, hope, and love. These three and the greatest of these is what? Love. God wants to grow you in love for him, for others, for yourself in appropriate fashion. Or maybe it's the fruits of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. God wants to grow you in these things, shape you and mold you, because as he does this, you begin to take on the likeness of Jesus who lives within you. So that you might become a burning bush. A person someone could recognize the presence of God in. A person that someone could come to, draw near, approach, enter into a relationship with, and realize it's going to be okay in their presence to take off these sandals. To not have to put on the artificial coverings that allow us to make our way through the world and in relationship with other people, but allow us to experience the grace of one who loves. And because they love, wants to see them set free from the things that bind them and the sin that chains. And that leads us to that last question. Uh, Where's God sending you? If your life is like mine, it's gotten a lot smaller in the last year. I mean, it's helped like my gas bill, you know, driving around, but... So where's God sending you? Maybe it could be to a new place. Maybe some of those other places have been pruned away and now now you're in a position where where you have some freedom to listen and some space is opened up so that you can begin to give yourself to different people, places, things that you haven't had time for previously. Maybe it's a new place, a new person. Or maybe it's the same place as God has already clearly called you but in a new way, to your family. As a parent, or as a child, as a brother, or as a sister, as a grandparent, a grandchild, aunt, uncle, cousin, niece, nephew. How, you know, maybe God's sending you to your family or to your place of work and the relationships God has given you there. Maybe to your community, to Newland, to Avery County, to an institution or a group or a service or a place where people are seeking to bless others. Maybe it's to your church family. God has sent us to each other for the last two weeks. I've seen it. Maybe that's where. Those questions, as we enter into this encounter with God this morning, I think are good questions to rise up in us. What's God seeking to undo in you and put back together in you? And where is God going to send you? So that your life can sing. Holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.